0: When darkness seems to hide his face, a rest
1: I've enjoyed going through this series on the Psalms. If you've been enjoying it, the Psalms are so rich. One preacher said it this way, that the Psalms teach us how to get along with God, and Proverbs teaches us how to get along with one another. I think there's some wisdom to that. Uh, But but we're really looking at this, not as as we look at the Psalms and the psalmist, we're we're trying to understand, when I'm in this situation... Where do I put myself? How do I posture myself in my relationship with God? And today's situation is something that we encounter, and I don't know anyone that really enjoys it. It's all about waiting. The psalmist is like, I'm so tired of waiting. Waiting, 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 waiting. We know what waiting's about because we have this place that's a little bit like hell on earth, the DMV. Huh? Huh? Yeah, it's just these long lines, and you just you think, oh, every time you get your notice for tabs in the mail, you're thinking, oh, here goes, and you're there. It's such a long, long waiting place. So I'm curious, which of these people who are waiting in line do you look like? Check out this line of people. Like, she does not look happy. I, I think she might be reaching for a weapon or something. I'm not sure. And this guy back here, he's kind of like thinking about where where can I run to? What can I do? I think she's on heavy medication. Uh, And you look down the line, it's like, what does your face look like when you're waiting? What does it look like? You're just not sure when is this going to end. We don't like it, do we? Because life is not moving the way that we want it to move. It's not moving according to our expectations, the way that we hope for. And what the psalmist really wants us to talk about today is how do you wait well? What does it really look like to wait well in God's eyes? Before we get there, I want to ask you, what do you do when you wait? This guy, I think his postures really capture that sense of waiting. You're like, oh, oh, and, and there you are and let me give you a scenario you're at the doctor's office you never wait there do you I, I, re, I was thinking between services I remember one time when my son John was five years old it was on our anniversary we were out to dinner with some friends and we came back and the kids had been playing soccer in the yard and John's arm now looked like uh, a big M it was broken two places so we go off to the emergency room there is nothing emergency about that room amen people I mean, no one's in a hurry there. So you're there, and, you're, and your kid has got a broken arm, and you're waiting. How are you doing as a parent? Ten nine eight seven six five. I mean, I, and I'm just about ready to make a scene. I'm thinking, how can I make a scene and get something moving here? And, and then this couple comes with a little, it looked like a one-year-old, who had gotten a hold of some disposable razors and had cut their, their little hands up. And they're, they're, wait, they're making it wait, just infuriating. Ah, right? So what do you do when you're waiting and you're in that doctor's office and the person right next to you is coughing like they have black lung disease and you're breathing everybody's used sick air? I'm going to give you some scenarios, some, some things that you could do. And you tell me which one sounds like you. You're there, you're waiting, you've got this person that's just hacking away, and your response is you're grateful for a chance to catch up on a 1993 Reader's Digest. Which one of you? See, there always is at least one that just love to catch up on the Reader's Digest. All right, here's another option. You start a contest with other patients to see who has the biggest surgery scar. Is that you? You start trading battle stories, you know, like, Oh, you think that's a scar, huh? The problem with mine is I have my hips removed, which means my, you know, anyhow. (laughs) I can't do that one. So the last one is you attempt to empty the waiting room by telling the rest of the people that you've come to see the doctor because you think you might have the Ebola virus. (laughs) And everyone's going to run out. Yeah, some people want to do that. You see, there's, there's a difference between just enduring waiting and embracing waiting. And the psalmist wants us to get that. There are some things that happen in the waiting stage, in the waiting room, that you just cannot receive apart from waiting. And so open your Bibles to Psalm 130. And as you do, you'll notice an inscription above it. It says, it's a song of ascents. What does that mean? A song of ascents. Well, the word ascend, of course, means going up. And, you know, when you're there and you're in Jerusalem, they're surrounded by the mountains all around Judea. Any, any place that you're outside of there, you're, you're going up. So, you know, some people say, well, it could just be that. Other scholars say that these 15 psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, are about going up for the priest, from the outer court to the inner court. And interesting enough, there are 15 steps, and there are 15 psalms. And it was said that the priests would sing the psalms as they made their way from outer to inner court. That's possible. That's feasible. Still other scholars believe that the Song of Ascent are descriptions of what does it look like to grow in your relationship with the Lord? What's it look like to be on a journey with God? I like that. I think, I think there is substance to that. I think that these 15 psalms give you a palette of what is it like. For example, today's psalm teaches you what's it like, what do you do when you're waiting on God. And lastly, some scholars say that these 15 psalms are really uh, talking about what does it look like to have a restored relationship with God. And I, I think that's true. At the very least, what we can say about this song of ascents that we're about to take a look at is it's instructional to us. It wants us to learn how to wait well. And that's an important thing in life, this waiting well. So if you're there at Psalm 130, we'll open up verse 1, and we find out where the psalmist is as he waits. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. What kind of place is the psalmist? Where is he? Desperation. Desperation. Is it Easy Street? No. He's in a desperate place and he's calling out. Who knows how long he's called out? You see, we can, we can talk about waiting in line at the state fair, we can talk about waiting at the red light. We can talk about waiting in traffic. But that kind of waiting isn't the kind of waiting that this guy's talking about. This kind of waiting is that waiting when someone you love has gone into a serious surgery and you're in the waiting room and you're just waiting. This kind of waiting is like the person who has a fog in their brain And in their soul, in this heavy weight of depression that just keeps pressing against them, won't lift and they're waiting. This is the parent who is up at 2.30 in the morning and their teenager has not come home and they're waiting. This is you sitting up Because the doctor has taken a biopsy, and you find yourself waiting on the news. Heavy, heavy waiting. It's a dark time. And when you're in this place of waiting, and you're in the depths, you have lots of time to think. And when you think, you typically drift towards this one question. Why? Why? God, why am I waiting? Why? What is this all about? And as earnest Christians, as, as we're, we're, we're waiting, we start naturally going to the place because what happens when you're in school, and this happened to me a lot, you know, you try to butt into the line or you, you try to slip and the teacher says, Mr. Spencer, go in the corner and wait. Right? Anyone else? <laughs> go to the back of the line, Mr. Spencer. The waiting will do you good. And in our spiritual lives, what happens to us when we're in a waiting place, I think one of the first places we go and we ask the why right question is it's my fault. I must have screwed up. I must have messed up. It's my bad. God's got me in the corner with my nose against the wall. It's it's all it's because I, I did something wrong, and he's punishing me with this eternal weight. Anyone else ever get there? I remember in, in a pastorate that I was in, and and, and out of nowhere, chaos broke loose. And just about every relationship I had went into chaos and distress. It, it didn't make sense to me. My position at the church was in this ongoing political tumult and it was it was just so unsettling it didn't just go on one year it didn't just go on two years three long years and i kept saying god what do you want from me what are you what are you expecting and you better believe that for the bulk of those three years i was turning myself inside out looking for what was the sin I must be doing something bad to experience this bad. What, what did I do, God? You're busting me down big time. What is that? And then I opened up my Bible to Hebrews 12. And I noticed this passage like I'd never noticed it before. When the writer says, Endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as a bad boy. Does it say that? Endure hardship as discipline or training. Why? Because God is treating you like a child, like like His child. And I started to realize in the moment maybe this isn't so much about me doing wrong, maybe it's me getting ready and getting right for what's next. This training. And you know, sometimes the things that God has to build into you can't happen except you wait. Good wine does not just happen the moment that you pull a cork. It's got to sit in the cellar and age good cheese, good steaks. It ages. It takes time. You can't rush it. And we'd like to. We live in a microwave world, don't we? If it's good, it's fast. Spiritually, no. There simply are some things that you and I cannot have grown inside of us unless we learn to wait. But to put this in a place where we can carry a better, the psalmist knows, he suspects, that you'll be digging into your life, examining what did I do, what did I do wrong? And he makes this statement. He says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Could I get an amen? Who could stand? How could we possibly get it all right, even in a moment? And he goes on to say, but with you there's forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. So the earnest believer can walk with God. Not because I've got it perfect, because Spencer certainly does not. Not because I'm going to do it all right, because Spencer never will do it all right, but because I have a good God who grants me forgiveness and invites me to walk with him. And so you've got to clear this. In a waiting stage, especially those dark, deep places where you can't find an explanation, let me tell you this, the Holy Spirit is the best convictor of sin you'll ever, ever meet. He's real good at convicting. Have you noticed that? When you do something wrong, he's good at highlighting that and saying, we've got to get this right. That's his speciality. So when you're in a deep and dark time and you've asked the Lord, Lord, is there something in my heart that needs to change and you get nothing? It's quite possible that you're in Hebrews 12 and do hardship as training, God's training you. And in that place, you begin to put your hope in a God who is faithful, in a God who has started a good work in you and promises to complete it. But we're still waiting, so we find ourselves kind of staring at the clock and thinking, well, I'm still waiting. It's, apparently it's not sin. I, I, I don't know. Why, why then am I waiting? And the psalmist goes on to tell us, here's why. In verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in His word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. More than the watchman wait for the morning. You see, there are some things, like I said, that will get built into you while you wait. The word wait literally means to bind together. God wants your relationship with him to be tight. And you know, when we've got life happening the way that Mark Spencer likes it and it's rolling along according to my plan and everything is flowing, it's really easy for me to put my hope in my life plan, in my role, in the way that I do things. And man, when it comes to a stop and I'm stuck and I can't change it, all of a sudden God gets my attention in a way that he had not had it before. Can I get an amen? And in this moment, he is wanting to bind us together. He wants me to shift from my plan to his. From my ideas to his perfect word. From my vision for my life to his eternal, infinite, all-wise plan for Mark Spencer. And the only way that can happen is if you put Mark on hold. So many of the great saints of the Bible have walked through the hold phase. The Academy of Weight has people like this. Joseph, an incredible leader, an incredible ruler, And when he's a teenager, he gets those dreams. It's so cool. He's like, everyone's bowing down to me. What teenager doesn't dig that? It's like, woo, look at mom and dad. They're bowing down to me. Get out of my way. He gets it. His world seems to fall apart. Thirteen years of waiting. Lots of unpredictability. David has a prophet come Pour oil on his head and anoint him to be the next king of Israel. Wow! In the presence of his brothers, he's the youngest, the baby of the family. That's like a mm-hmm, moment. Fifteen years he waited. Abraham is promised an heir. Twenty-five years. Moses. He's given the vision of the promised land 40 years. Our own Savior, Jesus, comes to earth and waits 30 years before he starts his ministry. 30 years. You better believe that when he was 16, he was annoyed with Pharisees. But he waited. He waited. Why? Why? Father and he were binding together. You see, in this moment when we're waiting, and we feel the weight of it, we have a close encounter with the vivid reality that we are not in control. Good morning, people. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You and I are not in control. Can I get an amen? Amen. Those are nervous amens, but I got one. Two, three. You see, we need to realize that because the reality is is we're not in control. I like to think that I am. I really wish sometimes I was, and then I realize, boy, if I really was in control, it'd be a super-duper mess. But in those moments when I'm waiting and there's nothing I can do, when Betsy's maybe in the surgical room and I'm on the other side, I can't do anything but wait. I realize with appropriate smallness how little I am, but how big he is. How unable I am, but how able he is. How ineffective I am, but how all-powerful he is. And in that moment, my soul binds them and I say, God Almighty, I can't do a thing. Will you? And at that moment, he says, yes, rise up. You got it. He's more like, "Phew! finally Spencer, you got it. You see, we need to realize that, not because God is being cruel, but because he's being truthful. When we run out of us, we run into him. And in the process, what happens is God is forging us who we're really designed to be. You wait. And he is working in but you might be able to listen to this, and you might be in a waiting place, and there's still this part of us that freaks out, and we're like, God, look what time it is. Look how long this is. Why is this taking so long? I've already waited this long. Boy, I'll tell you, those three years after year one, I thought, I can't stand this anymore. Year two, what are you doing? You just groan because you feel like life is passing right before you. And is this the way it's always going to be? And you groan. You groan. Because you feel the weight of waiting. And we're panicking now in this place because we're, we're thinking is this all for naught? What's the purpose of this, God? so the psalmist says, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. All those waiting moments, all those nights, all those weeks, God is crafting inside those three years of agony changed Mark Spencer, and I needed changing. And it would not have been possible for me to be the kind of person who genuinely loves that Brendan's the senior pastor. I love that. I don't want his job. I don't feel called to his job. I feel called to support and love him. And when the transition went on, believe me, people, after three years, I got the tar beat out of me. But I learned, I learned how to be gracious. I learned how to be comfortable in my place in God. I don't need to be the big kahuna. I don't need. In fact, I'd much rather be a good second or third or fourth kahuna so the big kahuna can really be the big kahuna. And that's enough kahuna theology. But you see, in those moments, that, that three years is just, And God is, he's not doing this to me because he knows, Mark Spencer, I know that what you want more than anything else is to have your tombstone read, he encouraged us. And you know what, I designed you for that, so we're going to make some encourager out of you. And in this time and in this season when you're waiting, one of the biggest qualities is God's redemptive the, 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 the thing that one of our favorite verses that we love to declare is God works all things together. Oh, come on, people. God works all things together for good. We lean on that. We say, God, look at that. Do that. And while we're waiting, God has got our attention and he wants us to see us the way we need to see. He wants us to see Him the way He really is. He wants to see the hope of what He has planned for us. And He's he's allowing this weight training to begin to develop in us a real new sense of I trust His Word that's unchanging, that's endured the ages, that's refined with fire. We trust that Word, not my plans, not my ideas, which are many, I keep God laughing because I'll, I always offer God, you know, God, we could do it this way or we could do plan B, which is an excellent plan as well. I also have plan C over here, God. It's a great plan. It's not as good as B and not as good as A, but should you not like any of those, I have plan D over here. It's a lovely plan. Anyone else do that with God? I then mean, go right down to plan Z. and there's just quiet and finally God waits for me to sit down and go you know what what's your plan God ah ah then my hope is in his word and secondly and my trust is he's got me ladies and gentlemen there is nothing more valuable on this planet than you do you guys know that You are his prize. You are his purpose. You are his focus. You are his concern. You are his obsession. And when you're there and you're waiting, don't you think that he's ignoring you. Don't you think that he's sending you or setting you aside or going, oh, forget Spencer. He's just a big pain anyhow. It's not that. He's obsessed with you and is building you and is taking you to a plan that is good and right and perfect. Perfect. It's the place that the Creator created you to be. He's taking you there. And sometimes it requires waiting. So, are you waiting well? Are you learning to put your trust in Him and His Word? And is your confidence shifting? The psalmist says that when you're struggling... In your relationship with them and not knowing what's happening, when your feet are looking for solid ground, take the word. Take what it says about the writer of the word and stand on it. Trust it. Lean on it. Depend on it. It is far more reliable, far more sturdy than any of your ideas or intuition and waiting takes us here. So, as we do the offering, I want to invite you to, in a fresh way, offer yourself to the Lord. And to say, Lord, how am I doing in this waiting place? Am I trusting? I do business. And I realize that as we've been doing these psalms, that they're all songs. They're meant to be sung. And so, this morning, Matt and I are going to give a go at Psalm 130 as we do the offering. And as you do, listen to the words of the psalm as they're sung. And may they help you to put your hope in Him.